Not every Wisconsin Synod Church even looks or feels the same. You know why? Because different churches, while they teach the same message even, have different values. Different things that are valuable to them. And so we're going through this list that ultimately came from all of you back in that survey back in August and taking a look at what this church feels is valuable. As we get into this week, I want to talk about church for a moment. Um, church culture. I grew up, uh, at least for a portion of my childhood, in a pretty large church outside, about 30 minutes outside of Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, as I look back on it, I'll tell you that I loved um, my pastors, um, especially one of them that was my dad. Um, but as I look back at that church culture, I would say now, looking at it from adult eyes, that um, here's what that culture was like, for the most part. That most of the members would come to church on Sunday morning for an hour. They'd sit in rows, like all of you, although they were pews and not cushioned. Um, they would sing songs. They would listen to a sermon. And then after the service was over, they would go home. And unless they ran into each other at the bank or the grocery store during the week, which often happened in the small town that I lived in, but if, unless that happened, ultimately they would never really see or interact with most of the people in their church again until the next week on Sunday morning when they sat in rows. Now, there definitely are some good things about sitting in rows shoulder to shoulder and, and coming to worship. Here, here's a couple of them. Sitting in rows like we're doing right now um, is a great way for a church to share the love of Jesus and the message of Jesus with, in the span of a morning, hundreds of people in a really quick, easy way. That hundreds of people are getting filled up with God's word as we study it together and are able to, to worship Jesus. That, that's a, a great thing about rows. Another thing about gathering together in a large group, um, do you ever feel like you're kind of the oddball at work um, or at school because you're a Christian? Do you, you listen to the people around you and you think, you know what, the things I believe, I, I mean, who believes these things anymore? I feel like I, I'm, I'm a, you know, a lone person out there. When you come to church on Sunday morning, you see lots of other people. What an encouragement that is. I know it is for me. To see that other people believe the same things that I believe and have the same hope that I have. And it's definitely more enjoyable singing with hundreds of people instead of ones of people or, or just listening to myself sing. At the same time, though, that Rose has its blessings... There are some things about sitting in rows that have their drawbacks, too, though. There are limitations to what we do on Sunday morning. Here's a couple of them. And maybe this has happened to you at some point. You can go to church to worship for months at a particular church, or even, in some cases, for years on Sunday morning, and still feel as if you really don't know a lot of people. And that even when then maybe you stopped coming for a while to a church, if it's just a Sunday morning sitting in row experience, you can get the idea that no one has even noticed, and even though this part isn't true, you might feel as if no one even cares. 
Another drawback or limitation to rows is that while there is some participation on your part, I mean, hopefully your heart's engaged right now. And I'm just going to pause here to bring you back just in case it wasn't. That you're involved in singing, coming to communion, that at the very same time, it's more of a spectator sport, isn't it? You're sitting right now listening while I'm doing the work of talking, right? And so we can easily nod our heads and nod our hearts to what we're hearing and know what we're hearing is true, but there's really no accountability as we go out into the world. That we're involved here, it's a great learning environment, but as you leave, who's there to help encourage us to apply what we've learned? Rows don't provide the same encouragement and accountability to apply what you've learned as a, a closer relationship. So, rows are limited. And so at Bethlehem, what we believe is that a good church has both great rows, that is, worship that people enjoy, and great circles. That a good church has both rows and it also has circles. And this isn't just a Bethlehem thing. This is a Bible thing. When you read the Bible and see what God has in store for his people, it's not just to come together on Sunday morning or in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Saturday, and to listen to the word. It's to gather together, to encourage, to strengthen each other, to have what we call in our values authentic, that is real, not fake, Christian, you know what that means, community, friendships, authentic Christian community, and, and that happens in circles. For us, uh, one of our main ministries around that are what we call growth groups, these small structured circles where people get to know each other better, and that in these circles, people, Christians, can experience encouragement, accountability, and loving care. That rows like this, they just don't provide. Now, when some of you hear me talk about the benefits of circles, you're like tracking right with me. And, and, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you feel in your heart that that's something that I've always wanted, or something that I'm so glad that I have. For others of you, you're a little skeptical. In fact, some of you maybe think, you know what, we talk about this growth group thing too much. That's maybe what some of us are thinking right now. Some of us would rather just anonymously zip in and zip out and hope and pray that no one notices until the next week. But no matter what you feel about groups or whatever we call them, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want to level the playing field. Because we, we can look at God's word, and, and he's, Jesus is going to give us a truth that is absolutely true in all of our lives. So before we get to Ecclesiastes, I'd like to set the table by looking at Luke chapter 17. These words from Jesus, they're not real encouraging. They're not um, something you'll probably hang on your refrigerator. But here's what this verse is. It's very true. 17 verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. 
things that will cause people to sin are bound to come. Now, in the Greek, that phrase, things that cause people to sin, it's just one word. And it's the Greek word, skandalon, which is where we get the English word, scandal. So, something bad, right? The actual picture is a trap. Scandalon is a trap. And it's... Um, if you're my age or older, you grew up on Wiley E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, right? And how uh, Wiley Coyote would set those traps like this, where the Roadrunner would kind of jump on it and it wouldn't collapse. And then he would put a little drop of water and it would collapse right on the coyote, okay? This is the kind of uh, bear trap that Scandalin is, the, the kind of trap that often will grab around a bear's leg or an animal's leg and they can't walk. It causes them to fall. It causes them to stumble. Multiple times in the New Testament, this word scandalon, trap, is used for spiritual things. Jesus is saying there will be things in your life that come that will cause you to spiritually stumble, that will cause you to doubt God's love for you, that will cause you maybe even to fall away for a time. Things that come that will have, be like a spiritual trap. It says they're bound to come. Again, in the Greek, it's literally, it is impossible for these things not to come. <laughs> they're going to happen. Jesus said it so. That's scandalin, it's impossible for them not to come. Now, as I talk about these types of traps, maybe some of you already thinking about some that you've come into in your life, just to make sure that we're thinking about the same things, that we're on the same page, I wanted to, to share a few uh, examples of scandalin. Um, I think a job loss that comes out of the blue is a scandalin. We're just trekking along in life, things are going really well, and all of a sudden a job loss, a job change happens, and we're like, God, I mean, I didn't see this coming, I didn't want this. What do you have in store? Um, it could be health problems, it could be the death of a loved one, or the death of, of someone that we just, you know, way too young type of thing. It could be bad friends, they can be scandalous. We're there giving us the wrong advice, the wrong encouragement, and it, it drags us to fall spiritually. Um, it could be money, either financial problems where there's not enough, and we question God, or it could be too much, excessive wealth, excessive blessings that cause us to forget about God's hand in everything. These are the types of things that Jesus says will come and will at times trip us up will at times cause us to question God and doubt his love, to sinfully sometimes even fall away. Now, if you know something is bound to come, if you know there's a, a chance that your tire is going to go flat, you have a spare in the back. If you know your tire is going to go flat, you have a better spare than that one in the back, right? If these things are bound to come, what do you think we as Christians should be doing? Grabbing the spare. Being ready. Being prepared. Um, makes me think of a trip that uh, myself and uh, 
10 of my buddies from college took during our senior year. We went down along the Gulf of Mexico for, uh, for spring break. And uh, um, so you have 10, 11, 12 pasty white guys um, from Minnesota College going down to uh, the Gulf of Mexico. And um, you know, seeing that our, our, our bodies had not seen the sun for, for months, you can imagine that direct sunlight down south, what that could do to you. So one of my friends um, who was white and also uh, not a lot of common sense, as you'll see in a moment, um, decided that he'd spend his whole first day out at the beach because you got to come back with a suntan because that's proof that you are south, right? And what he decided not to do is to put suntan lotion on. So white guy out at the beach all day, and by the end of the day, he looked like he could be a lobster's cousin. And not only that, but his body just was not happy with him. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen someone really sunburn and you, you touch their skin and it's actually hot. Um, that's what was the case for, for this, this friend. Not only that, he was getting chills, he had a fever, his body was, was uh, fighting the abuse that he put it through that day. And the, the image that I'll for, forever remember <clears throat> is uh, that evening, he was in his swim trunks in the bathtub at the hotel, just asking us to pour buckets of ice on him. And whether that is helpful or not, I don't know, but that's what he wanted us to do as, well, he wasn't prepared. He knew what was coming, the sun. He knew what could happen, and yet he didn't prepare himself. I think one of the reasons Jesus tells this to the disciples and to us is not just to read it and go, okay, but to be prepared. If these things will come, it's impossible for them not to, then we need to be ready. We need to be prepared for when they do come. Now, there's a number of ways to be prepared. We're going to focus in on one as we now go to our main passage for the day. This is written by King Solomon, one of the smartest men who ever lived, the smartest behind Jesus. Listen to what he writes in Ecclesiastes 4. This is one of the ways to be prepared for when scandal and come. Two, two people are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work. If one person falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Now, this is true physically. If someone falls, it's a lot easier to get up if someone's with you, right? That's not just what Solomon is meaning, Solomon is meaning here. In essence, he's talking about scandalin. These traps that make us fall spiritually. And when we fall spiritually, what a blessing it is to have someone to be there to help us up. And in fact, pity the person <clears throat> who doesn't have that blessing. Pity, Solomon writes, the person who doesn't have Christian people, God-fearing people around them to help them when scandal come, when spiritual traps come. Now, if you've ever felt alone, I want to comment on that a second. 
the greatest comfort we have is that even if we have not a soul in this world, who do you have to help you up? Our Savior, Jesus. Jesus, one of his last promises to the disciples was, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And even if you go through one of those dark times where you feel like you're all alone, you're not. Jesus, he came for that when we fall into a big hole of sin that we created, that he came for the express purpose of pulling you out of that hole by faith and by grace and through forgiveness, wiping you off from your sins and setting you back on the path that leads to heaven through him. Jesus is a friend who will help us up. We all have that. But in this verse, Solomon isn't speaking of Jesus. He's speaking of people. Of people, of Christian people. And in fact, listen to what Paul writes as you think about Jesus being your friend. In Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about being compassionate and forgiving. And then he writes, as kind of a summary... Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Be like God. Show the same love as children of God that God has showed you through Jesus. You see, we're blessed to have people around us. We're blessed to have relationships with people who are imitators of God, who won't just give us advice, but will give us Christian encouragement, who won't just tell us what we want to hear, but will pick us up with the truth of God's word. That when we have Christian community around us, Christian friends around us, what a blessing that will be. What a great way to be ready for when those spiritual traps come and we need someone to help us up. You know, you might have thought that groups are just kind of something that we like, and we do. But it's more than that. We know what Jesus knew, that traps will come. We know what Solomon knew on the screen before, that it is a blessing to have other Christians in our lives. And so groups like growth groups are, are one way where we can be prepared, we can be ready, we can be surrounding ourselves with Christian friends. Maybe not all of us have Christian family nearby. And sometimes Christian family is maybe not the first people on our list that we really want to be transparent with or to share some of the things with. What a blessing it is to have those people, those Christian people around us. And we just want everyone to experience the blessing that God has intended for his church and his people. Now, authentic Christian community, you may or may not have known this, but it, it influences more than just the fact that we have a table with group sign-ups. We 
have thought about this value in lots of areas, almost every area of our ministry. The way that we design the way we teach starting point is relational and has the value in mind. Tuesday night Bible study, Sunday morning Bible study, we consider how can we help people get to know each other and at the same time learn about God's word. Fusion, there's still some kinks to work out. But the reason why it's a little different than it used to be is because we're hoping that even young children will begin to get to know other Christian children and support and encourage each other. And then when they grow up, it's like, why wouldn't I be in a group? I've always been in a group. I need that in my life. The new member welcome, every week after it's over, so that'll be in two weeks, we spend a half hour to an hour not just talking about how many people were there, but are there ways that we can better connect people while they are there? Because we understand that this church is about learning about God's word and then encouraging each other in that process. Believe that a great church is one that has great rows, but also great circles. A couple um, in our congregation are due to have their first child in the beginning of April, and uh, they, every year around this time, go down to the Cayman Islands. And uh, so the, the mother-to-be did the, you know, the, the right thing and asked her doctor, you know, it's not till the beginning of April, can, is it all right if she goes down um, on this vacation? And, and the doctor approved it. So last Monday, um, she had her baby, down in the Cayman Islands, two and a half months early, three and a half pounds. Now, news to report that both mother and baby are doing really well. It looks like uh, the baby will be just fine. They'll be down there five to seven weeks, which may be a good thing considering the weather, but certainly not what they wanted. But at the same time, um, the, the parents of the new dad belong to our congregation too. And you can imagine if you're a parent, and she said to me, um, you're always wanting to be there for your children. And at this point, she just couldn't be. She couldn't fly down there as a new grandmother. She couldn't really even talk to them very much. And she just wanted to be there. She didn't know what to do. So you know what she did? She called people to pray. You know who she called? People in her group the people that she'd surrounded herself with. And it does not have to be a growth group, but here's a question we need to ask ourselves. Do we have people in our lives that we can call when scandal income? And if not, listen to Solomon's words. Two are better than one. And pity the person that doesn't have someone to help pick them up. Imagine the absolute blessing that God intended that to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you um, for a group of, of people, whether guests or members, that uh, you've united as a body of Christ. And thank you for the blessing that they are to me and God willing to each other. Dear Lord, we'd ask you to help each of us to look at our lives and to see, do we have Christian community in it? And if not, give us the wisdom 
to create that, to, to take the time to, to, to nurture those relationships so that we do. Dear Lord, we also ask you to continue to be um, with Derek and Mackenzie Meyer and, and their new uh, child, Jacob. Um, we thank you that you um, brought him to this earth uh, safely and, and healthy and would ask that you continue to uh, be with them until that day he's able to, uh, to come home. Dear Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name and continue by praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.